Welcome to the Under-18 Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Central for comprehensive coverage of the NAB League Boys competition. Head to afl.draftcentral.com.au. There's plenty to discuss in this edition. There were a couple of under-17s games which we'll get to in a moment's time. We're also going to take a look at some of the uh, interstate talents and the prospects there from the Div 2 sides, particularly those from New South Wales and Queensland from the various academies there. Plus, we'll preview the big final round of the home and away season in the NAB League boys this weekend. Two triple headers, one on Saturday for the Metro sides, one on Sunday for the country sides, and they've all got ramifications on the final ladder positions heading into wildcard round. To help me discuss that, I'm Matthew Cox. This is Pete Williams, the Chief Editor. How are you, Pete? Yeah, really good. Looking forward to getting into a bit of different content this week uh, across uh, not only this, I guess, draft crop, but next year's as well. Plenty of talent on the park, and one man who was there on the weekend taking a look at what's going to potentially be there come the 2020 draft in uh, roughly 12 months' time. Ed Pascoe, one of the roving reporters for Draft Central, joins us in the studio as well. Hello, Ed. Yeah, how you going, Pete and Maddie? Um, it's good to be back on. It feels like it's been a while, but uh, it's good to come off a uh, nice double header with the uh, teens playing out today. We've got a lot to speak about. And it was a bit of a, an interesting day at Icon Park, not only because of the on-field performances, but you got a bit of everything when it comes to weather as well. Yeah, so uh, the uh, interstate side's got a real taste for Melbourne weather with a bit of the sunshine and a bit of the rain. So it's also good to see how players play in those different conditions as well. So you get a real good uh, understanding for what, what, type, what players play well in types of conditions. And a few players get swung around a bit as well. So it's good to see players play in positions they wouldn't usually play as well. And now, as we mentioned, this is the crop for next year's draft that we're playing in the games across the weekend. Let's start with Vic Country. They took on New South Wales ACT. And it was, uh, well, a seven goal to three second half for the country side to get them over the line. 11.975 to 7.850. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, country just probably in the end, end of the day had a bit too many uh, good players across the board, whereas the uh, New South Wales team had probably a bit too many, uh, not not too many players to really stand out for them. Like they had the uh, the usual players like yeah, Errol Gordons and Brian Campbells, ones that, are, that really showed their wares in the champs. But uh, starting with country, their best player was uh, Sam Berry through the midfield. He was just an absolute bull. The player from Gippsland, he had 23 disposals, six clearances, six tackles, and even kicked a goal as well. He was just a four-quarter player, just going in hard, and even using the ball well, which you'd think someone like a bull-type player, he'd you know just scrummage him out. But he was really actually trying to really spot up his targets, which was really impressive for him. Uh, the other one there, um, Deacon Smith from the Dandenong Stingrays. Uh, he was a real handful up forward uh, with the 14 disposals, eight marks, two goals. Uh, there's not much of him. He's probably about 179 centimetres, but his marking was fantastic and his speed, like there was no player that could go with him. He was uh, too quick for the uh, taller players and uh, just too smart overhead. And yeah, he, he was one that just looked a lot of class and certainly a player that... Um, you, you could really look at for a long-term prospect. And uh, another Smokey that could um, could really uh, do a few nice things next year is uh, Seamus Mitchell from the Bendigo Pioneers. He didn't have a massive amount of ball, only with the 11 disposals, but he's uh, it just he's clean and class in, in the uh, conditions, was just a real step above. Like, there are a lot of players that are a bit... Uh, 
fumbling a little bit or not using the ball as cleanly as they could, but he was just really quick and sharp in the forward half. Kicked the one goal, probably set up quite a few others as well. So he's someone that he may not get a lot of the ball, so he may not stand it as much next year, but just when, when he gets the ball, he makes things happen. So that's the type of player he ends up being. Uh, so that's uh, the three main ones for country. As for New South Wales, you've got, um, well, Errol Gordon, who's... He's uh, a star. Oh, absolutely. He's just nothing of him. He's only a smaller type player, but oh, he's just always thinking. He's always crafty around the ground. He had... where, where did they play him? Because during the NAB League games earlier in the year, he was coming off the wing almost on a half-forward flank-type role, kicked a couple of goals, got thrown into the midfield on occasions. Was that a similar role that he had this time around in this particular game? Well, he got to be a bit more in the guts uh, this time around. He had a few clearances as well, so he had about four clearances. And the 19 disposals, he was usually more more of a wing type, but uh, I guess that's what they see his uh, prospects for when he goes up to AFL level. Like, he's a bit small, so he's probably going to be that wing half-forward type. But he didn't play as much half-forward, but he really did show his uh, capabilities on the wing. Uh, just his work rate, he's, he just worked so hard to to be an option. He's always running past for the handball. He just always wants to get involved. So that, that, that was good to see him have a pretty decent performance there. Uh, the other one from the Swans Academy, Braden Campbell. Now, he, he was probably their best player. He had uh, 18 disposals, seven tackles, seven inside 50s and two goals. He was just a constant force just running out of the midfield like he had that. He had that burst out of there and he just really summed up his options. He never blazed away, just using his nice left foot to his advantage. And his two goals were just all class as well. So he's another really top prospect for the Swans Academy next year. And another one, uh, Marco Rosman playing as a uh, as a forward, another left footer. So there's three left footers there. And he didn't kick any goals himself. So he just had the two behinds. But uh, he led up really well. He kind of played more of a high half forward role. Took some nice marks using his left foot really well. So, yeah, he, he was another one that he looks to have a bit of something about him. I'll be interested to see if he maybe plays a bit on a wing or through the midfield to just show a few more tricks to him because he, he looks to have some talent. Final score in that game again, Vic Country 11-9-75, defeating New South Wales ACT 7-8-50 in the first game at Icon Park on Sunday, the second match. And just having a look at the, the picture on afl.draftcentral.com.au, the conditions deteriorated massively in the second game. Vic Metro, well, they were a little inaccurate, but still got over the line quite comfortably in the end. 10, 11, 71 to 6, 7, 43 uh, against Queensland. Yeah, um, I think Metro probably should have won the game by a lot more as well. Like the scoreboard, especially in the first quarter, didn't correlate with the way they were playing. They were all over Queensland at the time. Uh, their midfield was just far too dominant. You had the likes of uh, Finlay McRae with the uh, 34 disposals, eight inside 50s and a goal. The only player for the whole whole day to get over 30 disposals. He's, I mean, just like his older brother uh, uh, at the Bulldogs, he's just a ball magnet playing through the midfield, just class personified, just using the ball really well by hand and by foot and looked to have good leadership qualities as well. So he might be one of the... Uh, leading contenders out of Metro for next year's draft. Um, and the un- another one who uh, got to play a few games this year as a uh, as a bottom major in the uh, championships was Connor Downey from Eastern Rangers. He had the 20 disposals, using his left foot to his advantage a lot of the time. Played a whole uh, different areas as well. Like He's usually played probably wing and 
defence at um, for Eastern Rangers, but he got to play on ball as well and really showed that he could win his own ball as well. So he's he's another one that will be one to look for next year. And another one from Oakley for the midfield, Reef McInnes, taller midfielder. He's about 190-plus centimetres. Just a real smooth mover, real classy on baller. A bit like your Pendlebury type. He had uh, 24 disposals. He had nine tackles despite his lightish frame and the six clearances. So he's another one that has a lot of those traits that uh, clubs look for as that taller midfielder that just uses the ball so well in, in congestion and traffic. Um, so, yeah, that's it for the uh, Metro guys. And for Queensland, uh, we had a, a nice small forward in Blake Coleman, the uh, younger brother of Keaton Coleman, who's also in the uh, Lions Academy. He had the uh, 13 disposals and two goals. Uh, he just looked the most dangerous player for Queensland forward to centre. He just had so much time with ball in hand, used the ball well. And as soon as that downpour came with that rain, he took probably the first mark since it did. And it just, just showed his class. Like he was absolutely pelting down rain. And he just takes this mark overhead in the contest. And you just go, wow, for someone of his size. And he's only lightly built, but it really shows his talent. And he, he certainly looks like the uh, one of the Lions' main ones next year, for sure. Um, another one through the midfield was uh, Carter Michael, also in the Brisbane Lions Academy. He had the 21 disposals and four clearances. He's a uh, tall, tall blonde fella with um, a real nice long left foot kick. Uh, had, had, looks to have a good mix of inside and out, inside outside. Uh, so he, he was their top disposal winner as well through the midfield. They had plenty of taller midfielders in Saxon Crozier there as well and, um, and Davies as well. They certainly had their work cut out for him because Metro's midfield was rather strong and a lot of those taller midfielders as well for Queensland were they were light. They weren't your real big bodies as well. Uh, and speaking of light, we have uh, Max Peskid uh, for the Gold Coast Academy. He had the 16 disposals and two goals. Now, he was 60 kilos. So he was easily the lightest player on the ground. At 183 centimetres, though, so he's still got a bit of development to go with his body. Now, what really shown for him was just the amount of time he managed to get for himself. He had a nice, quick few steps. Played a little bit on the wing, a little bit half back, and also went forward and kicked a couple of goals. And in the last quarter, got to go in the gut. So that really showed how much they rate him having to play in the midfield, even though his light frame, especially in the wet weather, to play, what, 60 kilos in the midfield in the wet weather. But he, he, he didn't look out of place. So he's another longish-term prospect that could really be a player for Gold Coast to look after next year. I'm surprised he didn't get blown away in the, the wind that we had <laughs> yeah, uh, on, on the weekend. What do you take from... Those games, I know we're, we're a long way out from the 2020 draft, but the, the top prospects for it, are you prepared to put your name to, to a couple of players yet for that top group of next year's draft? Or are you just wanting to see a little bit more before you make a judgment on that? Yeah, it was uh, safe to say a few of the ones that I really like for next year's draft didn't play the, in the game. So Elijah Hollands from Vic Country, he was one that is probably a leading contender for pick one that didn't play. You had uh, Will Phillips for Metro. He's the um, midfielder from Oakley, who's a pretty good player. You had uh, Jamara Ugelhagen. He was uh, also from Oakley. Key forward, he didn't play either. And uh, Nicholas Cox from Northern Knights Metro. He's another one who played in the champs who didn't get to play in this game. So there were a few of the top-line players missing. Um, but from from the games that were played on, on the weekends... You probably look at Finlay McRae as maybe one that goes a bit high. Sam Berry definitely has that 
in and under. He's that James Warple type, so he might be another one you look at. The, the troublesome thing might have been with the tools. Even though the conditions weren't good for tools, it didn't look like there was that many that really stood out. So it's really looking like uh, the, the tools might be a little bit on the low side for next year. Which is a similar sort of trend for this year's crop as well. We haven't got too many key position players out there, so it's a, a, a trend, I think, you could start to say, if that next crop coming through, there's not as many as well. So that's the under-17 games from the weekend. We'll keep an eye as well. There's a, a Futures All-Stars game on grand final day, I believe, uh, which most of these players will get a chance to play in as well. So we'll uh, keep you up to date with all of that over the coming weeks. Here on the Final Siren podcast, the Under-18 Boys edition, thanks to Draft Central. Let's take a look now at some of the potential prospects for this year's draft from the Interstate Academy sides. And we'll head up to Queensland first, partly because it's a lot warmer than what it currently is in Victoria. Um, Connor Buderick from the Gold Coast Suns Academy. Now, he's been on my radar from the word go. He really impressed me with, with his midfield work and also his... Ability to go forward and have an impact on the scoreboard for the Gold Coast Suns earlier in the year. Played during the championships as well. Has his stocks lifted, Pete, or have they stayed relatively the same? Um, oh, look, they're probably relatively the same, depending on where you rated him, because I sort of saw him a bit as like a Ned McHenry type, who, uh, you know... Uses it fairly well. Probably uses it a bit better than Ned McHenry, but he's got that really tackling pressure, um, which is something that you can't always teach players. And certainly for someone like Buderick, he averaged 9.3 tackles at the championships, which was remarkable. And that backed up from his effort of the Harrison medal, uh, which he won for the Div 2, playing for the Suns. So he was the best player in that Div 2 carnival. I think that for him, obviously his size doesn't really help because being the 175 and, say, 72 kilos roughly, um, being that smaller player, obviously it's harder to get noticed compared to others, but he's shown that he's got the versatility to play forward, to play back. He's got the pressure. He can play a defensive role or also, you know, play an offensive role because his skills are good enough. Um, Not too dissimilar to, like, a Caleb Daniel in in many ways who slipped right down the order. Um, Obviously, Caleb Daniel's got a lot of elite traits, but uh, Buderick's got quite a few nice little um, traits about him. And, you know, he made the All-Australian team, uh, albeit in the back pocket, after only having two rebounds for the whole champs, but he did play in defence for the Div 2 series. So... um, Look, he's a player that I really like and I can certainly see being a a crucial player for Gold Coast because uh, they certainly need players that can tackle. Um, So he's going to be one to certainly watch. And yeah, I I think certainly in the, say, top 30, it's certainly where I'd be looking at. He's probably about 20th or just inside for me, but yeah, certainly top 30. Does he get bitted on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, anyone, so, anyone who, they're not going to take him as a freebie. So if they got him as a freebie, because you're thinking back at probably 50, 60 is when they're usually getting him as freebies and there's no way he'd last that long. So so he's definitely on the radar of other clubs as well, which is great for him. The the areas that he needs to improve, you just mentioned there that he got flicked more of a defensive role mm. in during the, the championships. Is that the one area that he needs to build upon? Well, defensively, I mentioned he's, he sort of lays nine tackles a game, so I think defensively he's pretty right. Um, it's probably, if anything, more hitting the scoreboard because uh, when he goes forward, he's not a huge goal kicker. He's a, he's a tackler. He's a pressure 
pressure player. Um, you can always hit the scoreboard a bit more and, um, you know, ha- I guess have that bit of consistency because sometimes he's not the biggest ball winner. He can be um, when he's in a team. Like when he was in Gold Coast team, he was able to win a lot more of the footy. But when he's sort of got more of that outside role, say on defense or, or attack, doesn't win as much of the ball. But, uh, yeah, he certainly, his pressure goes up regardless of where he is. Let's head up the road to the Brisbane Lions Academy. Noah Cumberland, where do you see him fitting in the, the scheme of things? And and more more so from a Brisbane perspective, because the next two players are, are within their academy, are they both going to stay at the Lions or do you think they're going to let, they're going to have to let one go? Uh, it's going to be interesting. If I was the Lions, he'd probably be the one I'd pick, to be honest. I think Why? he's... Uh, he's upside because he's Will actually, Martin. Sorry, is the other name. That yeah, we the other Martin. To. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Will Martin is probably the more ready-made one in the sense that you can expect him coming in and having an impact early on. Um, and and Lions, I think the big thing with Brisbane is they like playing kids when they're younger, like sometimes before they're ready, but not so much that it's going to hamper them. Um, we've seen it with like obviously. Um, Cam Rayner came in earlier than what many thought because of his uh, low endurance base, but he's um, developed into a star quicker than what others might have at the same time if, if he'd been playing with another club. So I think what I really like about Noah Cumberland is the fact that he's got that breaknet speed. So I think he'll test really well at the the carnival. And look, he's not a huge possession winner. Um, he isn't overly consistent, but he has come back from injury and, and whatnot. Uh, he's the 183, 79 kilos and... Look, the thing that I think that you've got to sort of watch him to really understand what he um, offers, and certainly he can make mistakes when he go, takes the game on, but it's the ability to take the game on and use his pace and back himself. And um, he, he's got a lot of traits that really catch the eye. And often, if he has 10 touches, you've probably noticed about six or seven of them just because he, they're usually really uh, impactful on the game. Yeah, he's got that. X factor mm. about him. And as you say, sometimes it can float under the radar. Sometimes you can, when you're watching a game, you don't realise that the ball's actually in his hands and he's doing something. And then on the other side of the equation, you do notice the, the impact that he's having when he does get the ball in hand in a bit of space and uses it really well. Will Martin, the other name that we refer to there from the Brisbane Lions Academy, spent most of the NAB League boys games in the midfield and did well had solid, was consistent, probably one of the most consistent players for the Brisbane Lions Academy. What does he need to improve on, though, to to ensure that he gets on an AFL list? Yeah, well, he averaged 28 touches, almost 29 touches a game, so that's pretty pretty consistent. Um, Certainly he's kicking, he could probably sharpen up a bit. He is lighter bodied. Uh, he's only the 73 kilos, but uh, he sort of can play outside or inside. Like, he's a bit versatile in that way. He can go inside, win the clearances, then go outside. Um, I quite like him when he drifts forward because he's strong overhead. And I saw last year in – we are talking about the Under-17 Futures game, but in the Under-17 Futures game last year, he really stood out for Queensland because one-on-one he was quite strong in the air, and he's also strong at ground level. So I think he's certainly got a lot of traits that the Lions will like, and he's, he's more ready-made than – than Cumberland and he's probably ready to come in um, once he's able to sort of, I guess, get a bit bigger in that sense. Um, But certainly in terms of his improvement, it's the sort of just sharpening up, maybe adding a bit more class or kicking skill um, and that will really help him along the way. 
We're taking a look at the 2019 AFL Draft Combine invites from the interstate sides. We're looking at Queensland and New South Wales ACT this week. They're the Queensland players that we've just taken a look at for the New South Wales ACT side of the equation. Just two GWS Academy listed players uh, invited to the National Draft Combine a little later in the year, starting with Liam Delahunty. A player that impressed forward of centre was... He's got that frame of probably... I wouldn't say your leading forward. He's more your second or third. Yeah, he's sort of a third tall size. Kind of that Jack uh, Jack Gunston size, yeah. which I think Jack Gunston's sort of become the, the prototype for if you're not quite tall enough to be a key forward, but your player is a key forward or, or key position player. But he's that, got the, the, the broadness mm. and almost the strength, if you like, of... Yeah. Of a number one forward, but it's the height that sort of diminishes him. Yeah, he, he's sort of that uh, awkward size, I guess, that people sort of bring up. But he's certainly got the ability that, um, if given a chance, he's uh, able to have an impact on a game. And uh, throughout uh, the season, he showed some great signs. He's still got consistency to work on. So um, I'll be interested to see how he goes in the draft and, and where the, the interest lies. Because... It's not too dissimilar to like a Harrison McCready who might be that mid-draft who potentially, if a club like a Carlton did in that scenario, bid on him, it might give GWS something to think about. I think in an ideal world, GWS would like him, but I think that it will depend on um, where it comes. Like that might be a a scenario where we'll see where the bid comes. Now, it could be completely off and they might know that they're going to get him cheap or, or whatever. But the fact that he got the National Combine invite means there's at least a handful of clubs that are interested in him. So, And certainly being a tall in a draft where there aren't many talls, he, he's probably going to get some interest and it may cost them more than they want. So then they've got to make that decision. And it also depends on where the next player comes into the equation in Tom Green. He mm. was outstanding in the NAB League boys season a little earlier in the year in the, the matches that they played as part of Division 2 of the national championships. He also had a very good championships for the Allies. And I get the impression that GWS may have to give a little bit up to secure his services. Yeah, look, right now, like he he's shown enough to suggest that um, he may well end up coming high in the draft, like potentially top 10, although they usually drift out a bit. Um, so he might be somewhere in the teens. Um, and the, the knock that's been on him has been his speed in many ways, but he's actually quite quick when testing. So he's still an okay speed. Like he, he runs in about three flat, the 20 meter sprinter he did last year when he did the postseason testing and his endurance is right up there with the best. His agility's fairly good. So, um, he's a player who tests fairly well. He just, because of his body size, I think a lot of people look, see the broad shoulders, the 85-odd kilos, the 188 centimetres, and you just think that, oh, well, he obviously doesn't move that well. But he, he's actually quite deceptive because... He's athletic. Yeah, he is. He's, he's more athletic than than many give him credit for. And certainly being that size, he, he almost doesn't need to be that quick because he can just you know throw people off, shrug them away. Um, he's just so hard to tackle because of his size and... I think the knock on him, of course, will also be the fact that he is ready-made, developed, how much of a ceiling he's got, and that's the big question mark that comes from that. Does he have 
the ceiling of say a, a, a Patrick Cripps or a James Warple or someone like that, or, or or is he more of your um I guess regular inside midfielder that once he makes that transition he'll still have a very good career, but how much can he go further? But I think he's actually got better athleticism than those guys, like better than we mentioned Cripps and Warple, and I'm not saying they're going to be any like near Cripps or anything, but certainly I think for an inside midfielder to have that athleticism, um it's a good indicated that he might have a bit of upside more than you give him credit for, similar to um, actually giving him credit for speed. But um, I think that he's certainly a player who, you know, GWS will take in a heartbeat. I don't think there's going to be any questions about that because he's worth that first-round pick. And to be honest, depending on where their trading goes, we've heard about Coniglio and everything like that and their midfield. They've had a lot of injuries lately. Um, yeah, you, you would be surprised if he wasn't at GWS next year, to be honest. So they should be prepared to give up a little bit to secure him if he does get... I'm anticipating he's going to get a bid very early on. It'll probably cost them the the first round, so they'll probably try and trade down. They'll probably get a second one if Coniglio goes. Will it cost them, though, Delahunty then? Uh, Depends on the the bidding. Because I think Delahunty, he almost complements the GWS side Almost more than mm. I think Greenwood. I think there's a role for him currently in that side to play. There's obviously one there for Tom Green as well, but I just think that the forward line would structure up better with someone like Adela Hunty in there and almost uh, complementing uh, Cameron. What happens with Patton obviously is, an, is another issue for them, but I just wonder whether whether they've got enough to be able to retain both. That's the concern for me. Yeah, I, I think definitely if they were given the choice, they would go for Green, which is no disrespect to um, Delahunty, but the fact that Green is an a- absolute top talent in a, in a draft, you wouldn't let that go. Um, Delahunty, I think, will probably be mid to late draft, uh, depending. Uh, he might sneak through to, to be a freebie, but it really depends, again, on who's looking for a tall. And um, I can't imagine it would be before, say, pick 40, for example. So I, I think that... He's probably looking at that mid-draft if they've got enough points. And you could well see them trading out some of their depth potentially just to bring in some late picks. And we've seen that before where they might trade a player who's not quite getting a game that's in the reserves playing well. Um, and you see him trade it out for pick 50 or 55. And you think, oh, that's that's pretty good value, like pretty cheap. But um, they're getting it just for the points. So then that way they can maybe get enough points to, to secure Delahunty. And at the end of the day, it's not... It doesn't affect them because they can go into negative the next year if they need to. So, um, and that really depends on um, who they have. And there, there weren't that many giants for next year that stood out. So potentially that's a discussion that they have going. Look, if we need to go into negatives this year, we may not need the points as much next year. And they've also, I've just remembered, they've got an extra first round pick this year, courtesy of the Dylan Tri- yeah. Dylan Shield trade. Well, they'll probably be right then. But the other thing to keep in mind is. They might want to do a deal with Sydney because Sydney don't have any top-end prospects this year, but they've got a couple next year with Goulden and Campbell. So Sydney might go, well, we'll help you out with points this year. You help us out next year. And and that's a way that they can work. Whether or not they're going to be friends at the trade table, I don't know. But that's potentially how their academies can work together and go, well, you've got your prospects this year. We've got them next year. Let's do a deal where we trade practically the same kind of picks. Um, but at least you're getting the points this year. We'll take them next year. Watch this space, according Mm. to the Chief Editor, Pete Williams, here on the Under-18 Boys edition of the Final Siren Podcast, thanks to Draft Central. They're the interstate 
uh, listed players that were invited to the AFL Draft Combine, when I say interstate from Queensland and New South Wales, over the coming weeks we'll be taking a look at the other players from around the country that have been invited and previewing them in the lead-up to the testing in early October. Before we get to that, though, there's a pretty important month and a bit coming up mm. in the NAB League boys' competition, and it starts this weekend with the final round of the home-and-away season. It kicks off at Avalon Airport Oval on Saturday morning. There's a big triple header We're featuring all the Metro sides, and considering they make up most of the top part of the ladder, this is going to be a very interesting weekend of action. Let's start with a quick preview of the Western Jets and Northern Knights. Those sides currently on the ladder. They sit in sixth and seventh. So when it comes to changing spots, it could have an impact. Yeah, well, that's that's effectively what this game is about. It depends who can um, take that sixth spot uh, because the winner will get it. Uh, so... I think it'll be quite interesting to see how these teams play because potentially being sixth and seventh, if they then win their wild card round, um, they're, they're battling also to go up against second and third. Um, of course, they don't have the AFL system. In the AFL system, they may well play each other in the um, elimination final if they had that. But um, basically, it's it's pretty simple. The, the winner gets sixth, uh, unless, of course, we've got Western that could go above Calder. Um, so there, there's that potential as well where Western could actually, if they win, go above Calder. Um, and the difference that you would have in that scenario is if Western win, they then would play Tasmania, um, which is probably a benefit for them, I would think, over um, GWV, who they currently, if everything stays as it is, who they play, where Northern currently would be looking at playing Bendigo. Now, I think they're all fairly even, although I do think... Tasmania is that little bit below GWV and Bendigo. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I think in this game I'm going to go with Northern um, only because I think that they've just got a bit more when they're full strength. Um, they are missing Lockie Potter, obviously, for the year, so that's a big blow. Um, but I think that they are a bit more willing to take the game on. I think when Western have their best in in defense uh that they're, they're a bit more uh watchable in many ways because without them they've sort of that they have to play possession football and it's a bit slower it can get them the job done where northern uh run and gun and it can cost them but it um it sort of gives them the chance to win and i i think in this game i'll go with northern the last time these two sides played was back in round one the jets defeated the Northern Knights by seven points in what was a thriller, I think, at Icon Park. I think the game was played back in round one. It really depends, Ed, on, on what side shows up. We've seen the Western Jets and Northern Knights on occasions this year put in incredibly impressive performances, but they've also had a couple of shockers along the way as well. Yeah, I wouldn't say both teams have come off real great form in the last couple of weeks, um, but having... Both teams have their uh, players from the um, championships back. Will will help a lot, and um, I think Northern they would have some of their school football representatives back as well. So it's it is a very tough one to call. I would probably go for Northern, but if Western Jets have guys like Josh Honey show up and play some really good football, uh, we don't know what end of the grand Jacker will play. Jacker's usually been playing down back, but you never know if they chuck him forward. So this is a very interesting game. It really is. I'm going to lean the way of the Western Jets. 
I just I can't trust the Northern Knights for one reason or another. I just can't trust them. Not that I can trust the Jets a hell of a lot better either. But um, I just think that they might be able to get the job done. It correlates well to the AFL because there's a lot of teams in that eighth spot that you just can't trust. And it's kind of the same here. There's so many clubs that are so up and down. It's really, really tough. And as Essendon supporters, we're not going there. Yeah, (laughs) I can see Coxie's look at me like, don't, don't, don't. He's he's got ammunition on us and we're not going there. So let's move to the Colder Cannons and the Eastern Rangers in the second game at Avalon Airport Oval on Saturday. 12.30 this game, it kicks off. It's... The top side of the competition up against the Calder Cannons who sit fifth on the ladder. Now, they can't change too much in terms of going up. It's what they might fall back into if they have a loss against the Rangers. Yeah, well, they could actually go up to fourth if Oakley beat Sandy because they're on the same amount of points. But um, But their percentage from memory is not fantastic. No, it's not, but they're on the same amount of points currently. So if they win, they get an extra four points. That's generally how it works, Coxie. Thank you very much, Pat uh, Williams. <laughs> but the advantage is they, they know that uh, if they do lose, they could drop back behind Western. And I think that's where it gets to a bit dangerous because from GWV up, I think have the potential to upset any of those teams from fifth. Because from fifth to 11th, I think that it's going to be sort of pretty even. Like, Anyone who shows up on the day could win. I think that those top four are clearly the top four, so they're going to be tough to beat. And um, after that, obviously at the other end, you've got Geelong and Tasmania, who in fairness have probably you know been the two most uh, disappointing teams, I guess, if you like, although they have had injuries. Tasmania's been completely destroyed by t- uh, their uh, allies' players, where Geelong's obviously missing Cooper Stevens, Tanner Brune, etc. Um, but... Outside of them, GWV, Bendigo, Murray, Danny Nong, Northern, Western, Calder, all those teams, they're, they're sort of that inconsistent, um, where Eastern are very consistent, and I think that'll get the, the job done on the weekend. They've got the top spot because there's no way Gippsland will make up 30%, um, so they'll get a week off. I mean, they're getting a week off anyway, but uh, they'll get a week off and then await probably Sandringham or Oakley, depending on how it goes, or Calder. If they lose. <laughs> I think I revealed my tip before by saying Calder can't go too far above. I think the Rangers are going to get the job done on Saturday afternoon. Ed, your tip? Yeah, I'd have to go Eastern as well. But uh, Calder are coming off some good form. They've won four in a row. They're starting to get a bit of their uh, form that they promised that they'd have uh, in the start of the year. They were really hoping they'd do well. And, they, and to their credit, they really have fought back from that start to the year where they really were very slow. Uh, but... Eason right now, they're going to be real tough to beat, especially now that they can play a few of these under-16s, that which we saw from the under-16 champs. They look like real quality players. Tyler Sonzi, for instance, they've already put into the midfield. So they've got a lot of depth there. They've got a lot of quality across the grounds. So, yeah, I, I just have to go Eason. It's too, too easy. The match of the round is the final game at Avalon Airport Oval on Saturday afternoon, kicking off at 3 o'clock. It's the Sandringham Dragons and the Oakley Chargers. Both of these sides have injury issues. Both of them should be relatively full strength barring those injury issues. Both of them are fighting for a week off, the third spot. The loser will finish fourth, you'd imagine, unless the Calder Cannons are able to cause an upset. Where do we see this one playing out? Well... A few weeks ago, I thought Sandringham. Uh, I think 
I'm leaning more towards Oakley now that I've seen them play. I saw them play last week or the last time they played out against Western, and I just thought their second tier are starting to gel, getting together. Reef McInnes was really good on that day. Uh, Lockie Jenkins played really well. Um, I know they'll have less midfield minutes when Rowell and Anderson come in, but it sort of gave me the idea that they could potentially play Anderson forward if they need to. Um, so I think that they've got a bit more uh, about them coming into finals in terms of fitness. Uh, obviously, Sandy will be without Worrell and Marnie for a start, so they're, they're a couple that are out. Oakley were missing Williams and Bianco. I think Bianco will be back. Williams should be, but we'll, um, obviously that will depend on teams. Uh, but I'm definitely leaning more towards Oakley in this game now, having seen them uh, yeah, recently. So I'm going to go with Oakley, although I do think this could be a real thrilling game. These two sides have played off twice already this year. Back in round three, the Dragons defeated Oakley by 10 points in what I think was the last time these two sides would have been at full strength. If not, they might have had uh, one more week after that. But that, that was when they were both in peak form. The Dragons got the chocolates that day. Then in round 12, the Oakley Chargers got the victory by three goals. So they've split. The chocolate so far this season. They get another crack at it this weekend. Where do you see it, Pete? Um, Ed, you are? Yes, I'm Ed. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, really hard to pick, especially when I think the teams from those early canners will be pretty drastically different, especially with the uh, under-16s getting to play now because both sides had really good players that have been playing school football as well. So we're going to be very seeing dev- very different sides. And as Pete said, uh, Worrell out, Marnie out, and Oakley have added Cooper Sharman, who was a call-up to the Combine. So that's another one for Oakley to look at. It's really, really tough to call. And considering um, Oakley rested uh, the likes of Williams and Bianco the other week, probably hoping that they're fit for this game. But if those two don't come up, uh, if they're saving them for the finals, then that could also swing it to Sandringham. So I'm going to tip a draw. Oh, the splinters have returned. This time, though, it's on Ed's backside, not ours. Um, I'm going to lean the way of the Oakley Chargers, I think. So they've won the last four games. The Dragons have won their last two, so a little better form. Oakley seem to have the crux back. We're anticipating they're going to get their core group of players back. Um. I think they should win, which means that the Dragons are in a precarious position if they do lose, Mm. courtesy of what you told us before, Pete Williams. Uh, That's the Metro games on Saturday, so we should know by Sunday morning how it's going to be Mm. in terms of the top end of town. The other placings on Sunday for the countryside, so the Gippsland Power, the only countryside in the top six or seven no, more. Eight. Um, without having the ladder in front of me at the moment. Nong's in eighth, yeah. So, yeah, so they're, they're the only ones that are that are in a, a yeah, good the, position. Yeah, all the Metro teams are at the top. Like, in the top seven spots, Gippsland's the only one that breaks them up. Thanks very much for that. That's what I was trying to say. Bendigo Pioneers take on the Gippsland Power, 10 o'clock at Queen Elizabeth Oval. You'd anticipate the power to get the job done. Yeah, look, Gippsland, barring a complete uh, disaster, have got their, their week off. They would pretty much need Sandringham to win marginally, and then they would have to get smashed by Bendigo. But uh, chances are that they should get this job done. I can't really see them losing this game. Should be back at full full strength. Um, 
yeah, look, I think Gippsland are hitting their straps. They're ready to go. And um, right now they're sort of survival of the fittest. Uh, both them and Eastern Rangers are, are just that. So um, I can't see Bendigo causing any uh, problems in this game. Yeah, it's really tough now for Bendigo. School football's finished, but Brody Kemp's out with that ACL injury. He could have maybe done some slight difference, but uh, Gippsland just far too strong at the moment. They're in such good form. They've got uh, a fit list, and if everything clicks, they're just far too dominant aside. The next game, sorry, my tip's also Gippsland as well for that first game on Sunday. The second game, and I've got a feeling it was also the second game back in round three at Queen Elizabeth Oval. So read into this what you will. It was a draw between these two sides. The Geelong Falcons will take on the Dandenong Stingrays. It's going to be quite interesting, this game, because Dandenong was sitting 6-1 and one at the start of the season. And now they've had seven consecutive losses. And Geelong had just that. Like, they had more than that uh, at one stage, but they won last week. So they're actually in better form, technically. Um, Dandenong have been building it, and I think they're ready to come in. But, I, I yeah, it's going to be a tough one to pick. I will go with Dandenong because I think they're due to break it. Um, we saw them draw when Dandenong were playing well, though. So Geelong, I think, match up well with them. Uh, but, yeah, I will go Danny Nong because they're just desperate for a win. You don't want to go into finals or wild card round with eight consecutive losses, especially with uh, Murray breathing down your neck because if they lose this and, and Murray win, then um, they drop down that extra spot. So, I mean, I don't think it'll matter because it looks like they're probably going to play Murray. Um, but if they do win, then potentially, well, they'll, you know, have a look at jumping past Northern, although they'd have to... Um, rely on that result as well. So if they jump past Northern, they potentially play Bendigo instead, where um, they'd play Murray, and I'd probably rather play Bendigo than Murray, the way that it's building. So I will, uh, I'll go with Danny Long in that game. The Geelong Falcons should have won the game earlier in the year when it was a draw. Mm. And what you just said then is, I think, an accurate statement to make, that these two sides match up incredibly well against one another. The form, for me, is an issue for the Dandenong Stingrays. Uh, the form is an issue, but I've seen them the last couple of times and they have come against uh, rampaging Gippsland, which doesn't help you, especially before that game, uh, Sam DeConning uh, being a laid out in that game, which when you look at Gippsland's tools, it's fairly unfair. But um, I think there is a lot of quality with Danny Nong's side, a lot more than Geelong. And I do think they'll still win this one, Danny Nong. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Hayden Young, who they've moved into the midfield in recent times. His form has been good, but has it affected their overall game? Is he better suited off that halfback? Does that straighten their team up better? Or does it say more about their midfield that they just don't have the enough quality in there? Uh, you've got uh, Cahill also going through the mids, who's you probably also want as a forward as well. Uh, they've been trying Sam DeConning back and forward a lot of the time. Uh, do they play him back? Do they do they just look at what straightens it up the most? Are they still trying to figure out what side they've got that will be best to go up against other teams in the finals? So it'll be really interesting to see where teams play and how this game turns out because if uh, Danny Nong lose this one, it's not looking very good for him. And I think that's going to happen. I think the Geelong Falcons can cause an upset just based on the way that they matched up, albeit... That was also the game that Cooper Stevens did his injury too, so they were missing some of their star players that day. So I think the Falcons can cause a bit of an upset and add to the woes that the Stingrays 
seem to have heading towards wildcard round. The final game up in Bendigo and the final game for the home and away season is the GWV Rebels and the Murray Bush Rangers. For me, this is the behind the the Dragons-Chargers game. Mm. This is probably the second best game. A, because we know what the Bush Rangers can do when they're switched on. But I also feel the GWV Rebels have found something in the last couple of weeks. And the issue for them here is that they're not playing at Mars Stadium. And the reason I say that, Pete Williams, stop looking at me like that. It's because of their performance last year in wildcard round. They like wildcard round. They're building. Yeah, I, I do recall a certain podcast a couple of weeks ago where you're like, yep, no, nah, they're not going to go don't anywhere, rem- do anything. don't remember saying anything. So Come on, we've got to wrap up. We're, 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 we're running behind. Yeah, righto. Um, in this please. game, I do think uh, Murray will get the job done because I think they're uh, chugging along nicely. I think they're getting their players back. They're using, um, uh, they're playing really well against Western. Uh, they were superb. They completely dominated them uh, up north. So I think they're ready to go and I think that they're going to cause some damage in finals. So I think that they'll get this job done uh, against the Rebels, though the w- Rebels are certainly building, as you said. And I don't think I want to play them in the wild card round because I think they're a, a sneaky chance to do some damage, particularly if it's against a Western or a Northern or something like that, um, particularly Northern, as we saw last year, as you mentioned. So um, I think that they potentially could win in wild card round, though I think that Murray will get the job done just based on form uh, here. Yeah, so uh, Murray have had the week off, but the week beforehand, they absolutely demolished the Western Jets by 72 points. Uh, And uh, Northern are coming off a very close game. So who is the better prepared side coming into this game? The one that's come off a really easy win and then a week off? Or the team that's just been in a very close game? And if it's going to be close again, maybe they've learnt a few mistakes from the other time. Uh, on, On form and with the players on the park, you'd have to go Murray... Um, Lockie Ash is still in some terrific form. The last game, he had 26 touches and a goal. Uh, Boyer is another one who had three goals, 26 touches. They've got a lot of players that when they're switched on, they, they can break open games. And if any of those players get off the leash, I think that spells a, a lot of trouble for the Rebels. So they'll really need to lock down and play their brand of footy, and that'll be their best chance to win. Something you said there when they're switched on. It's been the biggest issue for the Murray Bush Rangers all year. When they decide to show up, they can be incredibly damaging. Yes, they've had a good back end of this season. And they have got players back. But I just, I've got a gut feeling. Could be the coffee that I had earlier. But I've got a gut feeling that the GWV Rebels might get over. i tell you what, you change your tune so quickly in the space of two weeks. Oh. I would also like to add with uh, Murray, they've got a few young guys that are really, really wants to watch out for. Uh, Rochelle. He kicked three goals and had 21 possessions as an under-16 in that game against the Western Jets. They've got a, a kid that's just recently played in the under-17s, uh, Bedendo, who's another forward type. So they've got a lot of damaging type players. So uh, they're definitely a team. If, if they are switched on, they could do even more damage. They could really challenge those top four sides. They could. They've definitely got the potential to be able to do that. So that's the final round, round 17 of the NAB League boys for 2019. It'll decide wild card round, and we'll preview that on the next edition of the Under-18 Boys Final Siren podcast. Thanks very much to Ed Pascoe coming in and sharing your insights from the under seventeen matches across the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be on here again, and uh, I should be on here again near the final series as well. So should be good to um, 
you know, be on here and band with you guys again. It sounds like we've had the door locked and we haven't been able to let him into the <laughs> studio since the last time he was on. He's <laughs> just oh. trying to break in. It's just, you know, you gotta, you got to build your game, build consistency and momentum. Uh, I, think I got Ed. all my tips right last time. Just right, turning him off. <laughs> Thank you very much to Pete Williams for also being in the, the studio with us. Yeah, no worries. Good to keep people accountable with their tips too. I'm Matthew Cox. I'm not acknowledging that. We'll see you next time here on the Under 18 Boys edition of the Final Siren podcast. Thanks to Draft Sim. Ah!